So AOC is on our episode today. Mm-hmm. Honestly, she's giving. <laughs> she's giving great interview. She's giving great interview. She's honestly serving. Great. Cong- she's serving the American she, people in Congress. She's, I'd love to serve her a subpoena. You know, uh, oh my God, why do you say it's so weird? You know what would be the best April Fool's joke next year? What? Actually having her on the podcast. That would be good. You know what? And mention this, but like people who got mad at us for that episode, <gasps> oh thank my you, God. fucking lucky stars that we did not go. Thank you. Thank You should be thanking Liz and Young Chomsky right now for outvoting me on making that a paywall episode. <laughs> There you were did right, want to paywall I it. did want to paywall that. Yeah. Here's the, the April Fool's Day should be like the purge, where no one can get mad at you if you were just playing a prank. I want to give a shout out to all the people who got mad at us because they said it proved we were CIA because we were interviewing AOC. That, I, and I just want to say, I see you, I hear you, and I am so fucking blessed for your existence. Honestly, I want to say to all our listeners, I do see you. I actually see you, and I literally hear you right now. Yeah, he's watching you. I'm, 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 no, I'm not he's, watching you. I'm with you. Call my ass Strom Clancy. Strom, Strom, Strom Thurmond. Yeah, that's why I was thinking of that. No, I know, but like, no one's named Strom anymore. No one's named Strom. I mean, imagine is it if short for something? Stromond, Stromother, Stromboli. Maybe it's Italian. So his full name would be Stromond Thurmond. Stromond Thurmond. Yeah, that's. Could you imagine if one if one of your if one of your Girls was like my God. In, in talking in the group text, and they're like, "Hey guys, don't be weird, but I'm bringing my boyfriend on Friday. His name is Strom Thurmond. Is that <laughs> you guys? Don't. I mean, Ugh. he's. I don't. Don't. He's fuck a clansman. Him. Yeah, he's in. He's in. He's in the clan, but no. he's like cool about it. Like he's not like he won't like argue with you or whatever. Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, my name is Strom Thurmond. <laughs> I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by Jesse Helms, aka mm-hmm. Young Chomsky. I always think of Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond as like a duo. Yeah, I mean, I think they were married for a number of years. I always thought of them as the kind of like racist old Waldorf and Statler of the, you know, mm-hmm. U.S. Congress. Yeah, I know. Well, they didn't let them vote. They just yelled down at the, uh, <laughs> down at the people voting, the congressmen. Um, but. Uh, this is I, this is I'm losing my mind, baby. Why? We just did a hell of an interview, but now all of the all of the performance enhancing ginkgo biloba that I took beforehand, mm. all the ginseng, uh, the tapping. I just found out what tapping is. What's tapping? People are just tapping themselves and saying things. What? I don't know. What are you talking about? I just look it up. It's the people are doing it. Anyways, we interview today Matt Farwell, uh, author of the blog, The Hunt for Tom Clancy. Um, And uh, yeah, check it out. Wide shot, the Pentagon at dusk. The camera pans down the 
pentagonal-shaped building, zooming in on the only porthole-type window where a dim light is shown. In it are three of the highest-ranking naval officers in United States history, Ultra Admiral Liz Franzak, Supreme Grand Admiral Brace Belden, and Double Vice Secret Admiral Matt Farwell. Welcome to the show, Matt. How you doing? Uh, We have with us here today, Matt Farwell. All right, I'm going to do the whole introduction here. Husband of Tony Jensen, author of American Cipher, Bo Bergdahl and the U.S. Tragedy in Afghanistan 2019. Uh, Former U.S. infantryman, reporter, and the author of one of my favorite blogs, The Hunt for Tom Clancy up on Substack, uh, here to talk with us today about... Well, uh, kind of about the military, about Tom Clancy, uh, and about his effect on American culture. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. How you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm going to apologize in advance if you hear like dogs barking. I, we have two dogs. They're crazy, and they'll bark at the UPS man because they hate the UPS man. They not as much like they don't hate the FedEx man. They don't hate the mailman. They'll bark <laughs> they, at him. They, they don't hate the the mailman. They they. They greet the mailman. They don't hate the mailman. Gotcha. And there's a difference, yeah. you know. It's uh, and I didn't grow up with dogs, so like my wife and I started dating, and then she had a dog, and then she got another dog. So I'd never had him before, and so they surprise me sometimes. So that's it. Well, speaking of growing up, we are going to talk a little bit about you before we we're going to establish your credentials here. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at one of the dogs right now. Uh, we're going to establish some of your credentials here uh, before we uh, before we get into Clancy and your take on him. So you grew up. Were your parents in the military? Yes, my uh, my dad was a veterinarian in Utah who had previously been in the Navy submarine service and then in the Air Force's veterinary corps. Then got fed up with the Air Force and did time in the reserves, and then got fed up with Utah. And so we moved to Turkey when he went back on active active duty in the Air Force. And I was like six years old when that happened. So it was really cool. Like I got to, I got uh, baptized as a Mormon person in the Aegean Sea on my eighth birthday. Um, while at discotheque, like down the street played, um, I got the power. I mean, this was like near Bodrum, which is where like mm-hmm. Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos parked their yachts. Um, so, you know. And I'm no longer a Mormon, but, um, you know, that was like kind of the milieu in which I grew up. And it was really fucking interesting, especially when you look back on it. Like my wife and I were over at my parents' house and they were busted out the slides. And there was this one, like we had a Mormon state conference where they paid the guy that like the caretaker at Ephesus, like 300 bucks to rent out the amphitheater for the day. And so, like, Seven Wonder of the Ancient World, Ephesus, like, where Mary went, you know, and where, like, John is supposed to be buried. Um, All these guys in dark suits and sunglasses, like, sitting there talking about Mormon stuff in, like, 1990. (laughs) And my wife was like, so were they, like, Mormons or were they in the CIA? And I'm like, I mean. What's the difference? What's the difference? (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) So you, your all right. Your dad had this, let's say, mixed experience with the United States Armed Forces, um, but you yourself and your brother end up eventually joining the army, right? 
Yeah, and I mean, he had he had a like he talks really fondly of his Navy time, and he likes the Air Force stuff. It's just you know he was an officer, and I think being an officer is a little different with like how kind of the the lifestyle is. And so both my brother and I uh, enlisted as like grunts. We were infantry dudes, and then my brother eventually became a helicopter pilot because. He was in the Ranger Battalion, and he's like, "These guys suck. Like, I gotta get out of here. Like, they're these guys." And this was pre nine eleven. He's like, "And so when I when I was going through basic training, and they're like, Farwell, do you want a, like a Ranger contract?'" And I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I'll be a Ranger. I'll be like murder some motherfuckers." And then I called my brother, and he's like, "Dude, like, are you stupid? Like, do you just want to go get like hazed and abused for a while? Like, is that what you're into?" And I'm like, "No, not really." He's like, "Go to eighty second or tenth Mountain or something." Like. And so I did. I went to 10th Mountain and they were great. Um, and the Rangers shot at our Alpha Company. So, you know, like that's cool. They're trigger happy. And so you eventually do get deployed to Afghanistan. And from what I understand, you were in the unit that was there, the longest deployed unit of any unit in the global war on terror. Yeah, we were there for 16 months. And I went on leave early. Like I went to, uh, germany to visit my brother in like march so i was there for like a year straight and you can if you look at the yearbooks and shit like or look at the pictures you're like oh you were kind of like burnt out at the end of that year huh like hmm. and then you were really burnt out at the end of the 16 months and like we got extended on we were supposed to go home our alpha company had got home to fort drum new york so picture this scene like the reserve detachment commander saying, yes, we know your husbands are on the tarmac. However, the secretary of defense extended our tour like four months. So we're going to let them off. They can kiss you and say hi, and then they're going to get back on. And uh, that's how it's going to go. They'll be gone for another four months. Don't worry about it. The, the like Colonel had to wear body armor and have two MPs with him because the wives and husbands were about ready to like murder him. I bet. Um, yeah, it was so like what year was And this? then we just like this was 2006 uh, yeah. 2007. So okay. um it was like the Taliban were just that had kind of licked their wounds across the border. Um, we're just starting were to just kind of re- yeah, regrouping yeah. and coming back, right? Around this time. And we were a victim of our own success because we killed like 260 of them with master artillery fire i mean i say we it was our my battalion i wasn't near any of it um but and so they were like oh there's like a lot of them and these guys are good at killing them so like we'll just keep them here um which i mean worked out like i got paid extra i didn't have like i had my like mom and dad and sisters and brothers back home but i don't give a shit like that's fine i'll do and i was in like a fairly cushy job at that point like working for the company commander the first sergeant so i was like wait, like, I have, like, internet in my room now, guys. Like, this fucking rules. I'm getting an extra $1,000. Like, I have to be back at drum. Like, this is all right. But I think it fucked us all up because we have, like, the highest suicide rate um, in the Army. It's through the roof. Uh, And part of – I got off – like, the Hunt for Tom Clancy Twitter account is me dipping my toe back into social media after like completely getting off of it for two to three years for just mental health shit. Like, yeah. Cause you can't go online and see like all you're like, Oh, my buddy's dead. My other buddy's dead. 
oh, this nice guy I grew up with, fentanyl. Oh, all right. Well, fuck. Like, you know, this sucks. So then you just f- don't look at any of it and you go plant flowers and it's nicer. I think it just like cultivates our worst impulses. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have, I think we've made that point. So ad nauseum to the, almost to the point of annoyance of many of our listeners. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, it's a, it's a point that cannot be stressed enough. It's yeah, almost repeating. like the internet as a whole was like built by the defense department as a massive <laughs> counterinsurgency uh, program and strategy. And it's working as intended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 another point that we are fond of reiterating on this too. Um, right so, place. I mean, I think kind of like I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think this is out of me a place for me to say. I feel like you've been pretty open about this, but you had your own struggles after getting back. Yeah, man, well. I was fucked up. Yeah, like yeah, I uh, I got I drank a lot. That's I, I don't drink at all anymore. But um, I got arrested like nine times for like this was excluding my two two duis which were when i like crashed my shit um Mm -hmm. i didn't hurt anyone i hurt myself i hurt my back um i hurt my truck (laughs) i hurt my wallet um like because virginia really like fucking sticks it to you um for drinking and driving which is a bad thing to do and no one should do it i'm not endorsing it don't come after me. I've already been come after for it. It was like <laughs> 10 years ago. Leave me alone. Uh, but <laughs> like, yeah, man. And uh, and then I was in the nut house uh, in Menlo Park. Okay, uh, classic. Which was like, I was in the men's trauma recovery program there until I uh, got kicked out for coming back drunk from a date with a Latvian girl I met on Match.com mm-hmm. who I then moved in with. Her name's Lita. She's super nice. Um, I hope she's doing well. The uh, uh, I used to go to like Orthodox church with her mom, Renata, um, which was like really in Santa Clara, which is not something you really think of, but like, wow. you know, um, and then uh, was in the like nut house out here, Ward 1A a couple of times. Um, the be- The first one was, I almost said the best time, but um I mean, really, if you haven't ever been like psychiatrically hospitalized, I highly recommend it. Um, it's to many of our listeners, I would stress that. Uh, do you need to take his advice immediately? <laughs> it's a good idea. I mean, it's a uh, the guy here called it the. He was a butcher from Fort Smith, and he like drank a lot, and he was like, "This is the the flight deck. Like, this is where you crash and burn." Um, this is one A. It it ain't spitting out winners here. And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, wait, I just have to play puzzles, and like, you guys are all way more fucked up than I am. Like, this is great. Um, so yeah, I it was. Uh, and then I got a stellate ganglion block in like 2015, and kind of a like hail mary. Like Playboy magazine had asked me for a piece. And they were like, what do you want to do? And I told them I wanted to go to the Triborders area in South America. Um, and they and they were like, do you have any other ideas? And I was like, I can go get this injection on my neck for PTSD that like my Green Beret buddy got and this shrink told me about, but I don't really think it's anything. I think it's stupid. Um, and they're like, go do that. And so it actually like worked out shockingly well my dad took me up there i again thought it was just gonna be bullshit like Wait, can you explain what this is exactly yeah and i can uh 
Playboy.com shit is all down, but I can send you guys a PDF of the article I wrote about it. Um, and Playboy magazine like saved my life. I, the non-nude issues, which so is Mormon, a very cool thing to say, by the way. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. No, and my my like my Mormon mom could like see the magazine, you know, and <laughs> not be like totally mad about it. Um, but it's called the Stellet Ganglion Block. It's an anesthetic procedure that's been done since like the 1920s where, Mm -hmm. and this sounds horrible, but a needle, a long needle is threaded through the neck to kind of the front of the spine where the, uh, the basal ganglion like grow. And the idea is in trauma that you, uh, you know, like, like a garden, you know, if, if the roots don't have water, they grow down. Right. So Mm -hmm. The first time you hear a gunshot, you get little nerves grow down from your brainstem. And this, this theoretically, they don't really know why it works or how it's effective, but, um, the, uh, they think it might like prune those back to kind of pre-trauma state. And so I, I was knocked out for mine because it sounded like horrible. I don't like needles. I I think people do this, not knocked out. My, my green beret friend that told me about it. Um, I mean, he was the guy that got Hamid Karzai in country. So he's a lunatic, but, um, (laughs) he was like, he's like, no, I just like sat there and the doc came up and was like, I think this will work for you. So like, just sit here and I'm going to like, I'm like, you let that guy fucking jam a needle like through your neck. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, like, Whatever. Oh I'm sorry, that sounds more traumatic than uh, <laughs> any I, amount of gunshots. I was, I mean, yeah, no, I said, I was like, my yeah, dad went up there with me. Out. No, my dad went up there with me and there were the doctor who, this really nice uh, Ukrainian guy named Dr. Eugene Lipov. Highly recommend him. He's in Chicago. He has a thing. Um, but the... Uh, He's like, do you want, you know, do you want to do it while you're awake or while you're knocked out? I'm like, knock me the fuck out, man. Give me that. Like, and it was propofol. It was the same like shit Michael Jackson used. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it ruled. And I woke up from it. You go back the next day, you're kind of a little bit like groggy and, you know, you, your neck hurts because you've had a needle yeah. jam through it. Um, and then the, uh, I woke up and my dad, old world, or old submariner in Vietnam, who was on like world war two submarines during Vietnam. Like, Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize any of this, but like his submarine was doing crazy shit during Vietnam, like bringing people in and out, you know, mapping Soviet installate, all sorts of shit. And, um, so he's like, let's go to the museum of Chicago, like of science and industry and see the U-boat. And so we went on a U-boat and if you have PTSD, like a enclosed, metal space that's clangy with lights and a bunch of people like my dad just kind of looked at me and was like hey matt do you notice anything and i'm like oh i'm not flipping out and oh shit so yeah it just again i i since i'm a since i'm a like not mormon anymore person who grew up mormon i hate to evangelize anything right and i hate to like preach like that this will change your life or this will be good for you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you have fucking really bad PTSD and you've tried other shit and like, it doesn't seem like it's worked, 
this worked for me and it worked for some of my hard case buddies. I mean, Dakota Meyer had one. He's not my buddy because uh, I never met him, but I'm high profile people, um, high profile lunatics like Dakota Meyer. <laughs> uh, you know, he swears by it. Um, and the, uh, the VA wouldn't do it for the longest time because they're the second largest per- purchaser of bulk pharmaceuticals in sure. the world of course. after the DOD. And so like I went off all my psych meds and I can, I could show you the before and after photos too. Like it looked horrible, you know? And when you're, when you're depressed and like your dick doesn't work right or Mm -hmm. like, you know, or the function doesn't work and you're like all bloated and all, it doesn't make any shit better, you know? No. I mean, I was just talking with my buddy about that the other day. It's like, you really got to weigh out the effects of, uh, erectile dysfunction with how uh, much depression the meds are curing. Or in orgasmia, because like you think that's going to be great. And maybe the first time you feel cool with it, but then you're like, no, it's been like a feature film length and like nothing's happening. (laughs) And I'm bad at having sex. Yeah. Like, 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 uh, I didn't know I could chafe there, but I'm chafing there. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is time to be done. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, you yeah, wow, you should have written more stuff for Playboy. That's a that's a uh um well they speaking of, of you writing stuff, so all right, we've we've established, you know, you enter the army, um, you know, you got out of the army, you're y'all fucked up from it. You know, right. you're in you've been in almost every single American institution except for a, being a politician. You've been in the nut house. Uh-huh. I assume you've probably gone to a rehab at some point, or if the I nut have. house didn't I yeah, have. okay, yeah. there we go. You've been in the army. You've been mm-hmm. in jail, which mm-hmm. you didn't describe, but you arrested nine times. One can infer. I, uh, I the longest stretch, my longest bid was um, ten days in Orange County, Virginia, um, for like my second DUI. That was the my lawyer got me a very good deal, um, and it was a holding cell. Like I was just in a bay with like seventy other fuck ups, except. Um, it was also a holding cell for like federal prisoners mm-hmm. that were awaiting transfer. So I got, I like to tell people that I got my ass beat by like the six foot five nation of Islam dude at Scrabble because he was a fucking Scrabble whiz. And just, that's all we did. Uh, there was a TV. I watched Katy Perry music videos and I talked to a guy who used to sell meth to Georgetown law students <laughs> until he ignored all the warnings from his Law student clients who had gone up to DOJ that he that they were closing in on the meth ring at Georgetown Law, but he was doing meth too, and he was just like a nerdy guy with like prison issued glasses like this. Yeah. These are my VA shits, you know. Um, and I was like, "Wait, you did what?" Like he's like, "What are you here for?" I'm like, "I I don't know. I had like my second fucking DUI, man. I like I don't know. I'm here, you know." And uh, so yeah, I've been jail was. I, and Boy Scout camp. I went to Boy Scout oh, yeah, camp. Oh, Boy Scout kid. too. Yeah, yeah, much like Clancy. Yeah, was he Boy? Yeah, I guess. He was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, chest um, too. And I know your your brother also died during the the war in Afghanistan as well. Well, he died in Germany after, oh, okay. but he had two tours in Iraq, two tours in Afghanistan, Jesus. and then he bites it uh, in like Bavaria, um, you know, on a safe tour. Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah. So that was like kind of a, that fucking sucked, man. Um, I escorted his body home too, to uh, Salt Lake and then up to Idaho. And then they didn't pick up all the pieces. 
And so the next year, Jesus. oh, you'll love th- this ties into what we were just talking about. The next year, we got to go bury him again with his crew and their commingled remains, which is how the army describes it, commingled remains uh-huh. that they hadn't found, right? Like they, they found other body parts that were put together that they couldn't separate. So then they just put them all together in a casket and had the caisson like roll down the street and invited everyone there and tax dollars paid for us to all go. And um, we reburied him with like the old guard in Virginia. And then on that same day, wearing that same suit, I had to drive down with my dad and my other brother to check myself into jail because that was the deal we'd worked out with the prosecutors. It gets better. I was sitting in the waiting room for like two hours because I'm wearing a fucking suit and I'm clean uh-huh. cut and they think I'm a lawyer. And so I go up and I'm like, Hey, my name's Matt Farwell. Like, I think, I don't know. Like, if, is this like a hotel? Like every other time I've been to jail, someone has involuntarily brought me there. Like, yeah. I don't know the procedure here. And so they're like, oh, we were about to put a warrant out for your arrest because you're late. And I'm like, I'm not fucking late. I've been here for like two hours, you know? Um, I've been sitting there. Okay, well, come on back. And then I find out I go, I'd gone to like Target on the way back, on the way down there to get the shit on the packing list because there's a packing list for jail. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd bought size medium t shirts, but they were children's size mediums. And so while Classic I'm like mistake. checking myself into jail, I put on my shirt, which comes just below like my nipples. And just above where the jumpsuit like connects. So I can mm-hmm. wear it, but it's like a tuxedo shirt that you wear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're wearing a, a tank top or not a tank top. What's the, uh, what's it, what's the shirt where you have your midriff out? Yeah. It was a real crop top yeah, crop situation. Top. And you don't know, like, that's a little anxiety producing when you're going to do 10 days in a place that, you know, again, it turned out fine. Like, I watched like fuck ups, like, trying like it was really weird to see like 19 year old fuck ups like tattoo themselves during <laughs> like like dude you're in here for like five days like what the fuck are you doing are you shitting me um but you know takes all types i guess for crime so many many years after this you end up publishing this book called american cypher yes and i want to ask how did this happen because how did your road from from like that point then lead you to the story of Bo Bergdahl? Okay, so co-committantly with like being a fuck up, I was also writing this whole time and mm. fairly like good at it, I guess, because I got um, the my first thing was published when I was in Afghanistan. I'd written like a fuck you um, to my old college and published it in like their alternative paper, and then it got published in a book. And then I was writing little things here and there. And then I, in 2011, 2012, I linked up with Michael Hastings at Rolling Stone. Mm. We got like talking on Twitter and he's like, you're a fucking lunatic. Like, what are you working on? And I'm like, oh, this, there's this Bo Bergdahl shit. And I think like the army's being dirty on it. And he's like, well, let's talk about it. Um, and so I give him a bunch of cre- Like he, he took me from, you know, kind of obscurity and let me work with him. And, uh, you know, taught me how to be a journalist and a reporter. And so then I plotted along, worked with him, and then he was killed in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, I wound up in the mental hospital again after found out that 
he and I had been under FBI surveillance. Um, I was like, fuck, like the things you find out from FOIA requests after one of your good friends dies in a car crash in LA, you know? In Um, one of the most notoriously mysterious car crashes in LA. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, not something that's like, and that was, I was living in Berkeley with an ex-girlfriend who, you know, I uh, love very dearly and hope is doing very well. Um, but we weren't good for each other. And so I was kind of going crazy there too. So yeah. Um, so this was after you guys published the piece in Rolling Stone, The Last American Prisoner of War. Uh, and correct. Yes. Yeah. Just so for our listeners who don't know, the um, I think it was uh, Vice had like basically sent out a FOIA request. Someone from Vice, Jason Leopold uh, from Vice, put out a FOIA that like revealed that you guys, uh, <laughs> you Matt and uh, and Michael Hastings, were under FBI surveillance when you were talking to Bo Bergdahl's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would wait. That was up in where? That would have been in the Bay Area, correct? In no, in a uh, Sun Valley. Idaho. Oh, in Sun Valley, of course. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Haley. Um, so that yeah, that must have that must have been a very weird. And you write about it on your Substack. The that. Like, you know, finding that out from a Vice article. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't write about like how, you know, I'm I'm in much better mental health like shape right now. I'm, I'm yeah. way less raw from the war, right? Like I'm yeah. less raw from a lot of things. And I've got a great like family structure and life around me. But at the time, I was a maniac uh, living in Berkeley, walking – you know, 12, 13 miles a day around Oakland and a night. Um, and that news comes out. And then, you know, you start wondering, are people following you? Who is mm-hmm. following you? And then you're like, oh, actually, wait, fuck. Somebody is following me. <laughs> like, fuck. Really? Um, so, yeah, that culminated with my dad. Like, my girlfriend was like, you are a fucking lunatic. Like, be out of the house by the time I get back from Christmas. And I'm like, that seems fair. I don't know how to do that, though, because I'm crazy. My dad came out, God bless him, um, put me in his truck, like loaded up all my shit. And then I thought he was delivering me coded messages that the truck was going to explode at 10, 10 p.m. on Christmas Day. Uh Uh-huh. That's very specific. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was an interesting like now I I attribute it more. It's it was almost a religious experience like uh, or what what. I had visions, you know? Um, and at, so I, I fucking jumped out of his truck, um, 10 miles North of jackpot, Nevada, when it was going like 45 miles an hour. And, uh, so that winded me up in a, or wound, I wound up in a psych hospital after that, after spending some time in the emergency room in Idaho. Um, yeah, that wasn't like, that wasn't the most. And then I went to Turks and Caicos, You'll love this. Um, no, no. So two months later, you guys will love this shit. So two months later, I get back and I get this email and it's from a uh, men's journal, you know, cause they were part of the Rolling Stone empire, yeah. the winter media thing. We're like, Hey Matt, um, like, you know, we want you to write some for us. Uh, and I'm like, okay. And then this psychiatrist named Frank Ockberg, who was the guy that told me about the stellate ganglion shot. And he's mm-hmm. been a, you know, trauma guy, but also like 
she's been a government affiliated like psychiatrist who did high level consultations with the secret service and like mm. ran a thing called like the critical incident like response group and so, so he's like a, a, a spooked out like yeah great classic name for a oh yeah and he's a, a great guy I still talk to him he lives in the US. but i let him and all these other government affiliated shrinks hip fucking hypnotize me in turks mm. and caicos oh my god yeah for like a week um that's incredible <laughs> a week yeah, I mean, they only did like three things, but you guys should look up Dr. Uh, Dr. Peter Levine and his uh, like the somatic experiencing tiger method where you um, out your trauma. Uh, okay. He's in Encinitas, California, which is a fact that like freaked me out because I was like, wait, I know this place. And then I went out there to interview Tom DeLonge and Lou Elizondo, the UFO people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the Blink-182 guy. Yeah, I read yeah, that yeah, article, yeah. yeah. All the- I was like, wait a second. Like, this is Encinitas. Like, this is where Dr. Levine is from. Like, oh, oh. And then I was like, boom. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it, my wife has, she's like, hey, I understand that's weird. Would you stop talking about it though? Like, <laughs> like always, because um, it's getting a little. I'm wondering yeah, about it. You're now. scaring like, the hose. Yeah, it, it seems strange though, honey. Yeah, that is that is. Uh, we haven't even gotten to what we're interviewing you about yet. This is an, <laughs> but okay. I've already have. This is a, this is. A, I'm having a blast here. Thank so you. you you <laughs> we are at this point. The book is out. And you have started putting oh, the the Bo Bergdahl book is out, and right. you started putting up. Um, it looks like a proposal to write another book, and this one is focused on Tom Clancy. Correct. Yeah, I thought like here's the thing that Bo Bergdahl book. It was uh, not that hard to get the book proposal like done, and then everyone was excited about it because he was big national news. When yeah, he was yeah, coming yeah, back, yeah. Right? Like I I caught the good tidal wave with that, um, and I a stupid person thought that was me and like my skill and force of personality and how great I was for like a second. And then I was like, Oh wait, I got to like do this again. Fuck. You know? (laughs) And so you start thinking about, so this all started as a joke with my wife when I was like, Tom Clancy sold his name to Ubisoft for like $45 million. So they would use it. But if I use it in a title, about Tom Clancy, then it's fair use and it's free. And so the, uh, and then I got thinking about it and was like, oh, that would be funny. Like, that's actually a good sales mechanism, you know, because you put that shit at Sam's Club, that'll sell out. Um, and then, yeah, it went from there. And I thought the, I actually thought the idea would sell because so many people's parents, grandparents. Yeah uncles, you know, whatever. Tom Clancy. Yeah. It did not sell. Everyone loved it. Everyone thought it was a great idea and they couldn't wait to read it when someone else published it. Mm-hmm. And this is like 20 different imprints my agent sends it out to. And it, my agent's not like, he's a good agent. Like he's an old school guy, you know? Um, so yeah. So then I just put it on Substack because like, <laughs> fuck it, you know? Well, we should talk a little bit about what that proposal is because it's not it's not a biography of Clancy. It's no. really like you 
you call the Substack the hunt for Tom Clancy, which obviously is a play on the hunt for Red October, um, which I immediately, obviously, especially when you talked about U-boats, I was like, how did we not mention Red October right oh, when yeah. you said you were going to 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 the U-boat with your dad? But um, it isn't a biography of Clancy, right? You say that it's kind of like using Clancy as a kind of lens through which to understand I don't know, American military and intelligence activities, policy uh, projections for the past, what, like two decades, ever since Clancy has kind of been around? Yeah, I got I got interested in this idea of how to use a single person's story to tell a larger story with mm. American Cypher, right? Because Bo Bergdahl and his family's like experience turned out to be kind of a perfect microcosm of the American experience in Afghanistan, right? So then you want to get you want to get deeper. You want to understand well what drives that and like what drives that thought process and who drives that thought process. And I mean a guy like Dick Cheney or Doug Fyth or Abram Shulsky or um, any of those dudes would be like fascinating, right? Condoleezza Rice, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's not go too far. I mean, look, <laughs> here's the thing. I was I was up at Thanksgiving in Minneapolis with my brother in law and we're watching football. And like I'm like, wait, is that fucking Condi Rice? Yeah, on like she was like on there. Football commentator, like, <laughs> like what? And like, I mean, talk about someone who did a lot. She had an Exxon tanker named I after know. her, one that didn't. To crash. be fair, her doing NFL commentary is technically still military duty. So, well, and she's also still ensuring that like young men in their prime get brain damage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the key. It's you know, all one thing. That's what being a leader means. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so Clancy. So what was so, it about him? So, well, part of it was I really, like, I unironically love Tom Clancy books mm. and Tom Clancy shit. Like, I grew up reading Tom Clancy stuff. Part of the reason I wound up in the light infantry was fucking Domingo Chavez was the coolest dude Oh, in my Tom God, Clancy. he's such a badass. He's the best. And Domingo also... Just of the names of the world, Domingo. It's a really good one. Yeah. So, I mean, and I I thought that if I thought that way, and also it was a way of, you know, in high school in Yorktown, Virginia, when one of your friend's dads is the navigator on the USS Harry Truman, right? And so you're over there and you're like, hey, Captain So-and-so, like, what about this? And it's from a Tom Clancy book. That's a way of like relating to the Mm -hmm. older generation. And, And so- I, it was also kind of a way of, you know, I've spent a lot of time with my dad over the last uh, 10 years and I have a different appreciation for him than I did, you know, as a kid when he was in the military and gone a lot, right? Like I understand the dude a lot better now. And so it's kind of also, my dad was on submarines, you know, there's a certain like, like I'm searching out, not just my, like, like my country's experiences here, but like, Kind of, and my dad was not a Clancy fan at all. He just did all the shit that Clancy wrote about. Like, mm-hmm. and so it was a way of kind of discovering my own background as well and reinterpreting it. Because again, like when you know, uh, when you're like, oh, I know about all about Dev Soul, the revolutionary left, and like Izmir Turkey, because they shot yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Mackey. Like, <laughs> I remember those guys. Like, they got I know me about off Dev school. Soul too, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they have a great logo. Um, the, uh, really great logo. Dev is also, cause, uh, 
Devrim, I think, means revolutionary in Turkey. And so yes. all of the groups there have Dev in the uh, – in Turkish, rather. And so all of the groups there have Dev in their title, which is for yes. sort of the communist technique of always shortening words to the first three letters. Yeah. Dev is a class – it's very mm. – it flows very well. It's uh, – no, I mean, even as a kid, like, knowing I was supposed to be afraid of them because, like, you know, we had an armed guard outside my apartment building and I rode a bus with like a Turkish soldier, right? We were the targets. Um, mm-hmm. But I was like, that's a cool name. Like, <laughs> you know, that's a fucking rad name those guys have. Um, so, yeah. So let's talk about Clancy. I know it's not a biography of Clancy, but you do have a lot of biographical notes about him in here. And one thing that uh, really sticks out about Monsieur Clancy is that uh, his eyesight was too shitty for him to actually join the military, which I don't know if that's true. I mean, I've that's read that a say. few places. That's what they say. That's also something I would say if right. I became a very popular military writer uh, later in my <laughs> life and people started asking why. I didn't do it ever. And instead you went into insurance. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, I would be like, oh, well, it's my it's my eyes, my flat-footed, and uh, my flat-footedness, and also I yeah. can't read. Right. Um, but uh, he uh, – so he's he, he is basically one of the most boring uh, all-American guys that there is, right? Like he is – you know, he's a Boy Scout. I think he's a Catholic. He, Chess club uh, at Loyola in Baltimore. Yeah. Not that good of a student. Like, not an outstanding guy. Insurance, you know, has this life insurance company. I think he I buys think the kids his- call call this type now a midwit. Mm-hmm. He bought it from his mother-in-law, very mid. too. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. high interest rates. And he gets, and this is funny because my dad is also really into the Naval uh, Naval Institute. Yeah. Because uh, my dad, I think like many dads, has a undue fascination with allied shipping during World War II uh. to the point where he makes spreadsheets and lists and all. My, my God. Oh my God my, I love that shit. Can you send me those spreadsheets? It, they are in, the, uh, my dad has been making spreadsheets. Uh, at one point he got, I think he, he. All of Vienna's like interwar uh, train timetables, like oh he like God. translated and yeah, he's <sighs> like just useless. By the way, no, my dad is that's the best. as far as I know de- not autistic either. He just enjoys making lists. It's fantastic. Um, but uh, but my dad is also a Naval Institute guy, and I think in fact he got me a couple books from the Naval Institute for uh, for my birthday last year. But. Um, Clancy Clancy is a subscriber and a letter writer, and he hits them with his first novel, The Hunt for Red October. I think in what is it, 82? It's he he publishes his first thing with them in 82, which is a proposal <laughs> to put the MX missile on hovercraft. Okay. That yeah. would yes. then be able to just go anywhere in the Midwest because right. it's flat. Which is funny because that actually does tell us why he never joined the military. Wait, just I'm, unintentionally tells I, us. I'm sorry. Hovercraft. Is <laughs> like for, a hovercraft. I, I know, but I was like, maybe this is like a, isn't that like a swamp type vehicle? It is. And but he's just like, let's deploy these on the plains. On on the Great Plains and in flat areas of like Nevada and Utah where yeah. it would be unpredictable where they are. You can I, see, actually, he has like little drawings. Dr- like, it's amazing. It's like little, a total, um, 
Yeah, he was really like gunning for the patent on that one. It looks like the <laughs> G.I. Joe vehicle too that came out around that time, like the killer whale. Mm-hmm. Um, which just always I mean it really tickled me when I found that. Like that's incredible. Oh my god. No, it was the best. And so no, then in uh he he hits him up with like, I'm writing this novel. And they're like, okay. And they're like, yeah, it's all right, but like you should revise it. And he's like, okay. And he goes back and just fucking knocks it out in like six months and brings it back. And they're like, yeah, we'll publish this. Like, this is fine. Um, Okay. Like, thanks, Tom. Um, When's your next hovercraft proposal? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the hunt for red October was a huge hit. Uh, Massive. I mean, yeah, Reagan himself. I mean, he he famously said that, like, they, like praised it, right? A, a crackling good yarn. I believe. I'm always oh my god, that. that's such Please. a fucking Ronald Reagan thing. Yeah, to say. it's it's funny because I mean Reagan's <laughs> voice is anything but, but that is a very like mid Atlantic like you know, yeah, totally. That, listen, hear that in a mid Atlantic accent. No, it's like um, what you think Paul Harvey would tell tell you about. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, Reagan Reagan gives us this public endorsement, and it sells like. Uh, Hot cakes, yeah, which is one cakes. of the best-selling breakfast foods I think available <laughs> on any market. But um, I think what's crazier about it is that Red October, for whatever reason, like it got the FBI even. You, I mean, you write about this, got them a little spooked because they thought it was so accurate that they worried that there was like a leak. Yeah, coming out went, of the agency, they went and so he got he sold life insurance to retired submariners that worked at the nuclear plant at Calvert County. Mm-hmm. That's how he got all his info. It's so good. And from a board game called Harpoon by Larry <laughs> Officer named uh a naval officer named Larry Bond that was like Dungeons and Dragons for Navy. Um from what I understand is that Clancy was a bit of a, a war gamer, I think, in his life in his yeah. life. Uh he was, he, he, I know he played Harpoon or at least read the rules for Harpoon. And uh I think read a couple other accounts of him him playing other sort of unspecified games with uh military personnel. No, and when I was like twelve, I, I I will freely admit this. Living in Yorktown, Virginia, I uh, when I was in middle school, I played Star Wars: The Customizable Card Game, mm-hmm. which was like Magic: The Gathering, but with Star Wars cards. Yeah, and yeah. I was the top ranked youth player in the Yavin Four region, by the way. Look at this but one. Um, brag, brag, brag. Well, I mean, I will. Uh, but I think about that now, and I'm like, I played with like there were like. 34, 35 year old dudes in there that had like families that would like bring their like baby, you know, because I'm going to play in the Star Wars card tournament and get my ass kicked by like this 11 year old kid and then go home. And I think about that now. I think about that's the Tom Clancy type. Mm, He was back there like, yeah, like playing Harpoon and thinking about how he would, you know, prosecute a campaign in the North Atlantic if he were the Soviets. And he was able to like knit this information together in such a way that it like it, it got him an invite basically to the Pentagon. That it, the other thing about him is, and I want this to be clear, he's a good writer and a great storyteller. Yeah, like his shit. Um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it. When he loses his editors, he fucking like sucks. But mm. um, with a lot of his stuff, yeah, he. He got him. He wrote himself a seat at the big table. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I think it's funny because in that way, and actually, I think in a bunch of different ways for Tom Clancy, he so encompasses, for me at least, a certain era of like older 
usually fairly portly, at least pot-bellied white guy in like khaki pants dreams, like the life insurance guy's dreams of just like, I know so much about militaria and I'm so like, I'm thinking so outside the box with this kind of stuff that I can literally write my way into like the highest levels of power mm-hmm. into the CIA director's office, into the white house. All Colin Powell's going to be shooting in my basement in 10 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shooting prisoners. Um, no, but he, you know, his wife buys him a fucking world war two tank to put in the front yard. Yeah. Um, it's just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I gotta, I gotta be honest. That's good. That's, that's no, Wanda good sounded really cool. Um, or sounds like she's still alive in, in litigation over his estate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, this first book blows up and he comes to national attention. And tell me about like, you know, like Liz mentioned, the FBI is looking into him. And then, you know, all of these, these people at the top levels of government are just so impressed by this book. What impressions is Clancy actually making on these people? Like what, what doors specifically kind of does this stuff open? Okay. I think one you got to understand how in the 80s, especially in the early 80s, how enigmatic the figure of Ronald Reagan was yeah. to the official bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. The same way Donald Trump sort of terrified like and like weirded out the residents of D.C., mm-hmm. Reagan did the same thing. So they don't know like they're they don't know how to get through to this fucking guy. Because he won't read the briefings, he falls asleep during shit, he won't pay attention. The Pentagon winds up having a special animation unit at Fort Meade (laughs) that, I swear to God, this is like real, that produces cartoons for Ronald Reagan. And so when they hear that this motherfucker spent two days like in his bed reading Tom Clancy books, they're like- We've got a way to get the president's attention, right? Which is a weird thing to think about, right? But senior officials have the same problems anyone else has, right? Especially with that sort of access. Like, how how do we get our program past so-and-so? Right, right, right. Right? Like, I just, I watched and talked about the movie Dreamscape from 1984, where Dennis Quaid has to go prevent the assassination of the president Mm. in a dream. Yeah. Um, I never heard of that, but I could easily also do that in real life. Dude, it's fucking amazing. It's like better than Inception. Um, I highly recommend it. And it seems to my mind that movie was put out specifically with an audience of Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan (laughs) so that SRI would get more funding (laughs) for their psychic spying programs. I imagine for Obama, they had to develop a like 12 part HBO prestige dramedy series to get him to pay attention. Or just like write a book and musical about uh, <laughs> a guy that was really into banking and trading stuff out of the Virgin Islands. <laughs> um, which, I mean, all the, all the good people at trading things seem to wind up in the Virgin Islands. It's true. It's a great place to trade. It's, it's, and no one shady ever went to Colombia. Exactly. So now I'm just letting all my, all my biases <laughs> hang out. So we got, I mean, this, listen, this is a bias, uh, whatever the opposite of a bias free zone is. We're the bias zone, zone. Yeah. They call me and Liz the bias brothers uh, at the uh, podcast conventions we go to. So, I mean, all right. He's got Hunt for Red October out. Uh, I think the next book he writes, is it, 
I'm going to fuck this up because he has very similar sounding titles for several of his books, but I think it's Red Storm Rising. Yeah, and but that's not in the Jack Ryan chronology, and that uh-huh. one's co-written with Larry Bond. So Who it's kind of a with harpoon. Yeah. Came up with harpoon. And so Jack Ryan. Let's talk a little bit, I think, about Jack Ryan, because Let's that is it. a central character of many of uh of Tom Clancy's books. I, Jack Ryan always stuck out to me because I'm 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 aware of Jack Ryan. Uh, I think I was explaining this to Matt before we started recording, but I had never seen a Tom Clancy movie or a movie based on one of Tom Clancy's books uh, before a couple of nights ago. Uh, that is mostly because I don't watch a lot of movies, um, but uh, but I know who Jack Ryan is. I know there was like a big Amazon series with uh, what's that guy, the Office Jim, fucking you know, playing Jack Ryan who. I mean, that is one of the most annoying, obnoxious human beings of all time. So, so Jack, so we got, I mean, Jack Ryan is um, possibly one of the most boring protagonists ever written yeah. for a series, at least from my perspective, from, from watching the, the couple movies that I did uh, and, and from, from reading about, you know, sort of studies of the character of Jack Ryan. I mean, this guy is a, uh, a naval historian, a CIA analyst, a think tank guy, a uh, banker, don't banker, forget. and stock mm. trader, millionaire stock trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, railroads. He made his money on railroads. <laughs> at railroads. I mean, and it's it's um, and married to a, a successful doctor. Um, wh- wh- what about this character who, on paper, well, I guess that's maybe a bad metaphor to use, but uh, is is seems like some of, one of the most boring you know, characters you could ever come. I mean, he lacks the sort of suaveness of James Bond or like, you know, the real action here. I was, I was surprised Harrison Ford maddeningly just basically refuses to pick up a gun during, uh, uh, was it clear and present danger? Um, it, uh, what about this character so fascinates people? I think he's the ideal vehicle for someone to, he's the Walter Mitty, like avatar. He's the ideal vehicle if you're a mid-level manager at Raytheon to project yourself into, right? Because at any time the CIA could come tap you for a mission or Mm -hmm. you could save the Prince of Wales and the Princess Diana from a splinter faction of the Irish Republican army assassinating (laughs) them. You know, like it could be your dream. You know, you could hang out with Prince Charles. Yeah, you could end up becoming American best dream. friends with Prince Charles and Princess Diana. In fact, he founded my high school. <laughs> he now Clancy modeled Jack Ryan after Robert Gates, right? He made that assertion, didn't he? He told that's what he told Tom Clancy when they met each other at a summer program for gifted youth. <laughs> Is that true? They were both We're, giving presentations. Oh my he god! Said, yeah, he said for many years I modeled. Uh, Jack Ryan's career on you. But then, of course, Jack Ryan becomes president. And like, Bob Gates never did that. So I know that's that's one of the funniest things when I was when I was reading the uh, like some article about Jack Ryan. It was I did not know that he later becomes president in in some of these books, which is and it kind of goes downhill once he's always good when he's like, when he's kind of Ferris Bueller, right, Mm -hmm. going up against the like Ed Rooney's um, of Washington. He's a good character, but when he's the Ed Rooney, eh, eh. Well, what I thought was so fascinating, at least about the movie version of Clear and Present Danger, is basically any uh, nobody 
delegated anything. Like for some reason, the highest commanders have to go into the field and get the job done themselves. They yeah. never get anyone else to do it for them. They're always the lone survivor of whatever accident befalls them. Uh, and are able to like exercise incredible prowess under fire, uh, whether, you know, figuratively or literally, uh, and get the job done sort of by the hair, of their, the skin of their teeth, but also maintain an incredible degree, at least the protagonist, of integrity, which, uh, I mean, for, for those who don't know, uh, Clear and Present Danger, uh, much of it takes place in Colombia. Yes. And uh, while some of the movie deals with this, um, the the American presence in Colombia has not uh, been a story filled with uh, honorable men doing honorable things. Oh, I mean, you're not a Plan Columbia fan? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not a no. huge fan of Plan Columbia. No, like you. So wait, what Listen, you're saying? I, I, I what you're saying is that the film and movie and book version of Clear and Present Danger may, in fact, have been a fictional recasting of historical events in and around South America in the 1980s, where mm. remarkably no U.S. government planes were transporting weapons or cocaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You say that this is kind of like Clancy's MO, right? With all his books, that that's what he kind of does is he takes these sort of bungles, we'll say, in like FBI, CIA, you know, DOD, whatever, history, these sort of like epic bungles. In this case, what we're talking about is Iran-Contra, really, and kind of like reimagines it as the CIA winning. Yes. (laughs) And, 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 And it ends up really like gaining a lot of purchase with, you know, senior officials for that reason, it seems. Well, and, and with just the common public too. Right? Yeah, because totally. Everyone wants to be in on the secret. Everyone wants mm. to like be in on the no. Right. And so if you're like, Oh, actually it went this way and that was a good thing, you know, then mm. Hey, who's to say it, it doesn't get, I mean, did you hear much discuss uh, reading any of the stuff about the clear and present danger movie? There wasn't much like, Hey, but actually like, remember Rand Contra when like Oliver North <laughs> was doing all that crazy shit? Like anyone remember that? Like, no, he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I heard he's like an uptight stepdad in real life, which really disappointed me. Oh man. Well, you um, thought he was going to be like a sort of like a, a like roguish super mercenary. I always kind of wanted to hang out with Oliver North because I thought it would be like interesting. Yeah, you know, but like, no, it probably sucks. I think I think it sucks. I think he's just like mad about stuff, irritated all the time. He's one of those guys that like. I mean, he, it's funny because he never really. I mean, he, well, he did leave the limelight. I don't know. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but like he's been back for kind of a while. I mean, he makes media appearances. He's all, he was president of the NRA for a second. Yeah, um, but it's he. He has like a. I feel like despite his kind of like high position, um, you know, or, or at least uh, availability to the media, and you know, high position to NRA, which is a very large group. Um, I don't know if he's still the president, but he sort of I think fails to find purchase in the popular consciousness now. Um, you know, it's 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 like he's kind of a ghost drifting through these these various positions he has. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is obviously a, a complete psycho who never really. None of these people got their comeuppance. Yeah, I think most of the Contra guys. I mean, everyone. I would I just, would say probably every one of well, them. Well, no, Dewey I was, was heavily for, involved in Bergdahl. Yeah, 
But I was going to say everyone either, you know, it's like what a handful got burned. Right. But then everyone else just kind of like got reshuffled or just sort of like you say, like, I mean, all, even Oliver North is just sort of like, ooh, lost to, to being, he's just a stepdad now. He's just kind of floating around. Robert you Gates know. was the prudent secretary of defense under President Obama. I know. Mm-hmm. That was such a crazy hire. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, no, it's, it's, they're, and, and they're all fucking coming back for more with like, it's all the same con artists from the war on terror that are now yeah. talking about like the wars in Europe, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I know. Yeah. I mean, I know. Kagan, we're running out of guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I mean, how is, what, what are we going to do if Kim Kagan fails? Like what, <laughs> what, what happens if David Kilcullen's corporation in Colorado Springs called CAG isn't successful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'll probably just hang myself. Yeah. Ooh. Red rope. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I, I do that doorknob. when any corporation fails. The, yeah, um, yeah, with a <laughs> by, by a doorknob. Um, uh, I mean, you, you know, you write, you write in your sub stack that uh, clear and present danger almost seems like a whitewash, essentially in service of George H.W. Bush. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it the whole thing kind of is uh, – in Cardinal of the Kremlin, that's all how Star Wars worked and how when the FBI just straight up fucking shoots first, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 from, from what I understand, this is from what I understand even before reading your, your, your sub stack, is that like Tom Clancy's novels essentially serve as a way to uh, advertise how great America is at, at when it really wants to be. At getting this foreign policy stuff done, this sort of like tough but you know tough but fair uh, country, um, but also these like you know sometimes these weapon systems that Clancy is fascinated by too. I mean, he describes himself as a technology guy. Yeah, and and that is one thing like I know you've written about a lot is that like how he he can explain these like really complex technical topics in approachable and sort of understandable uh, plain English. Well, and and really like normalize it. I was driving through, I was going to Dallas, Fort Worth to do this story on my interpreters who now live in Fort Worth and are uh, long haul truck drivers that got commissioned and then killed by the economist. Um, Cause at the time it wasn't good to talk about Texas or truck drivers positively. So that's fine. <laughs> but um, as I was driving through, there's like a big billboard for Northrop Grumman, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like, Northrop Grumman protecting America, you know, big, like cool airplane. I always thought that. And those exist in Hampton Roads. I've seen them outside DC. I've seen them in California, like especially down in San Diego areas. Um, And those don't exist. So the normal person drives by and like buys a Northrop Grumman product because they can't afford, or a Raytheon product because they can't afford it. That shit exists because if I like looked at all of my friends' parents who now work for Raytheon or Lockheed or Northrop Grumman or any of those and said, hey, you guys are facilitating like murder. You understand this, right? Like you're murderers. Um, That doesn't go over very well, right? Because everyone does it. It, No, that's how we pay the mortgage. We go and we design smart bombs. Like I know it kills people at some point, but I don't do that. I just designed the guidance package. 
Um, and so I think Tom Clancy books do a similar function, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're learning about the impressive spread of the GBU-84 cluster munitions, right? You're not, and how they can take out tanks, you're not learning about the seven-year-old kid that goes to pick one up because he thinks it's pretty and wants to bring it to his mom and like fucking blows up him and his sister. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, again, I'm I'm not intensely familiar with with Tom Clancy's work, but it seems like showcasing technology is a huge part of that. And and I think that like when you're especially even talking about the video game stuff, um, I think when it's attracting people uh, to, you know, to the CIA or the military or something like that, the technology is a huge component of that, right? Like, I, I think there is a, a high familiarity with uh, military gear beyond even just small arms that sort of young people have basically through video games, right? And, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, the Tom Clancy video game franchises, I think, are a huge part of that. I know a big thing in video games now is highly customizable, uh, you know, modular weapon systems, right? So people can put, you know, their, their fucking... I don't know. I, I, I have no real familiarity with like lasers or IR laser or any of that shit, but you know, they they can yeah. put the specific branded laser of like that exists in real life on the side of their M4 that they're using in the video game, the specific site, the specific stock, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and I, I mean, I think that like Tom Clancy's novels seem to really like have a similar effect on people, right? Yeah. Where it's like you can instead of just like reading about maybe the after effects of this stuff in the you know whatever newspaper or or, or you know seeing maybe some some footage of soldiers on TV or something like this, you can actually almost live vicariously through it and, and imagine yeah. yourself like I think a lot of people do in kind of the driver's seat of the, of the people using this weapon system, whether it's like some you know missile guided ball whatever or uh uh or just like a you know, a, a sidearm or something like that. Well, and Clancy is like a huge, massive video game empire. I mean, that's a big part of the Clancy brand, right? Um, yeah, you write about about that aspect um, on the Substack as well. I think you had this great line that I keep thinking about, which is a simulation tool that becomes a game remains a simulation tool. Yes. And the fact that these games, you know, it's like, okay, you had, you know, you've got military contractors that then take these video games and modify them or, or modify simulations in order to then make new video games, which then they remodify to then become simulators for, to train actual new recruits. Right. But there's like this bizarre cycle between, or kind of like, you know, yeah, like cycle that's happening with, um, you know, both the, but the, what the military is developing in terms of simulations, but then bringing that then to retail to then recruit people into the military, which are then using those games to then create new simulations for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and to, I, I couldn't get over watching. I, I saw the stuff that happened on January 6th from my living room in Arkansas, where in the console of my Xbox was a Tom Clancy video game called (laughs) the division two, where at the end of a pandemic, you were like a secret government agent capping Americans on like national monuments, you know, to bring back the government. Mm-hmm. And what does That's that- That's the kind of stuff that makes you bug out a little bit. But, but what does that, what does that also, <laughs> what are we training up a general, like, I, I got really interested in alternative information streams, right? Because I write for largely like mainstream publications that, mm-hmm. you know, are- 
financed by God knows who and you know, all that shit. The, uh, and like that are, uh, but also on drives across the country, I would listen to a lot of right wing Christian radio because Mm -hmm. it was all I could get on the radio. Right. Like certain stretches of town, that's all you can get. And yeah, you just get two totally different like versions of what's going on from those, you know? And, um, I got, and then the idea that people now don't talk to each other from any of the alternative information streams because they're heretics, Mm -hmm. um, was really fascinating to me. Right. And that doesn't exist without an incentive for that to exist. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, my first introduction to Tom Clancy, uh, was through the original, uh, rainbow six video game, which I think came out in the nineties. Um, and, and one of the, I mean, I think there's been like a million ghost recon games, but, I remember the one that I played, and I think this was the same thing with the Rainbow Six game, although I, I was too young, I believe, to actually appreciate these features, was that like you planned out your assault and like chose your operatives beforehand. And, and so their it, gear. And their gear, exactly. Yes. A lot of and, planning, a lot of military decision-making process stuff. Like, look, if I put on my, my paranoia hat, mm-hmm. like my real paranoia hat, I would say there's no better way to covertly and under everybody's nose, train up a large segment of the populace in pretty advanced military techniques than we're doing right now with video games and have been doing for the last 20 years, which again are all funded by a place out of USC called the Institute for Creative Technology that you would never think was a U.S. Army weapons lab. And you've been there. Yeah, in the Army with my boss who was like this old – Green Beret dude who had been in Somalia and like who didn't want to get in a cab in LA because like some of the cab drivers were Somalis and he had a bounty on his head. Jesus. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it was like it was kind of complicated. The um, yeah, and I was still in the army and I went in my very first weed shop there in uh, Marina del Rey and I was like, "Fuck, man, I got to get out of the army. Like this sucks." <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, I mean, what kind of stuff did you use when you were there? Uh, we just got not the weed shop, the, no, no. So they, they hooked me up briefly to a kind of shoot, no shoot PTSD simulator thing that they were working on. Sounds like the worst video game of all time. A PTSD simulator. The idea was like you step through like, or a PTSD tool, like, uh, okay. like you step yeah. through the, this virtual simulator that's supposed to, and I was like, I was out of my mind with PTSD at the time. Like this was when I'm supposed to be this Sergeant Major's driver. And they're like, yeah, but you, uh, you fucking crashed your car outside of uh, camp Perry and then fought with like five cops. And, um, <laughs> so you, you can't drive anymore. I think you're going to write speeches now. Like, you know, so, uh, so they had me and then they just talked about all the other shit, all the other programming and stuff they were doing. And, you know, then my boss goes back and tells his boss who was general Dempsey at the time, like, Hey, they're doing great stuff in LA, you know, like keep giving them money. And then they do like, that's how it works. You know? Yeah. Um, I got a coin from there and I talked with some of the dudes, but like, uh, yeah, I remember being hooked up to that simulator, and that's about it. I'm not saying this. This isn't like Turks and Caicos. It's not like I was yeah, hypnotized yeah, yeah, by no. 
that I don't know. Maybe I'm a fucking Manchurian candidate. Who knows? Uh, the uh, time will tell. Um. Well, I mean, I'm I'm praying that you're not. Although I, I'm not Thank getting you. a real Manchurian candidate vibe from this. Although, I mean, I guess if you were, they were really good at it, I wouldn't get one at all. I mean, Raymond um, Shaw is the kindest. Decent, most <laughs> wonderful man human I've, being ever, I've met ever met in my met. life. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I mean, with with Clancy, uh, uh, you know, it's it's his are his video games integrated into this like military sort of because I I mean, for those who don't know, there was I think the most famous military game that the military actually I believe used to recruit and they say train their soldiers. Well, I don't know if that's really true. They did uh, yeah. was a game called America's Military, which America's is, Army. America's Army, excuse me. Yeah, not a very cleverly named game. No, um, but at least it doesn't. It's not just like an acronym, which is what I would usually expect from the from the, the U.S. Armed Forces. Um, but uh, is 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 the Clancy stuff? I mean, is that used at all by the military? I mean, do they me, have any interaction with that? Yeah the the underlying uh, artificial intelligence that is used, like the game engines in those, mm-hmm. are developed by that Army lab, and then kind of licensed out to the various game companies right um so yes the the very like the inner mechanics of it are are g you know yeah um and then two the america's army thing i want to tell you a quick story about that so my buddy uh jason amarine the green beret guy that convinced me to get the stellet shot Mm -hmm. he has an action figure and he's a character in america's army because he helped develop it at west point (laughs) So he didn't tell me this story, but a person in the company of former Congressman Duncan Hunter in the basement of a Capitol building, Capitol Club, told me this, which was, and he seemed to know, he was a retired guy that was selling the congressman on like struts, uh, like truck struts that he was going to sell. But he wanted to tell me the story about video games in West Point. So they noticed at West Point that they were getting during the Iraq War, 07 timeframe, they were getting a lot of downloads from Ramadi. And so they tracked the downloads, right? And they figured out, oh, like the, uh, like whoever's fighting us in Ramadi, I was never in Iraq. So like, I don't fucking know how it went there, but like whoever's fighting us in Ramadi, um, they're using America's army to war game their like training. Like they're, they're doing so, small unit tactics so on America's army, right? That's so funny. My, my, my buddy, well, he's dead now, but a guy I knew got like half his face blown off there. Okay. And so that guy who blew half his face off could have learned it from America's army. Well, it gets, here's, here's where it gets, here's where the twist comes in. So they notice this at West Point and they're like, oh, they're learning like TTPs from America's army. Well, we put in accurate like TTPs, like tactics, techniques, and procedures. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. The, um. So let's just have the, like, let's tweak the code and have the American soldiers behave differently. And so, and do it in such a way, basically they trained up these guys through a fake version of America's army, like a modded version to attack American soldiers in a way that they would just be slaughtered immediately rather than have a good chance. Wow. That's it. I mean, yeah. This is the kind of stuff McNamara could have never dreamed of. Oh, well, no. I mean, it was the dream that Phoenix dreamed. Yeah, I mean, right? kind of, right? It's like hijacking the brain. No, and then that guy Furlong that was working with Dewey Claridge in this private spy ring, he was using video games, a Czech video game company called U-Turn, 
to do like psychological operations in Mesopotamia. And so, you know, like down to what billboards were written down, but then he noticed, and he tells me all this shit in Tampa, like while we're doing research for the book and he's one of Dewey Claridge's guys, um, or like, you know, they work together, but, um, Mm -hmm. the, one of those weird military operators where you're like, you know, and, uh, like just fat and sweaty and like smoking Marlboro lights. I still smoked cigarettes at the time. So I loved them. Like we're just, you know, being like just fucking dirt bags together. It was great. And, um, the, uh, he starts telling me like, no, so we would, we would sell these in the bazaar and then figure out like, you know, these guys like this one pretty soon we'd figure out whose computers we were targeting. And we wouldn't say like, you've won this. And these are different games. This isn't the West point one but you've, you've won this many tokens in this one game, like come to Dubai for a free sex weekend, you know, with like a Russian whore. I'll, okay. I'll be real, you know, stop here. I actually have won that in a few games and uh-huh. that offer is it's honestly, if you're good enough at games, that offer is not fake. It's not fake. It's real. <laughs> okay. I went, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Okay. But what would happen? What would happen when they did this? Well, So then they would, they would invite these dudes and these, you know, fucking gomers get on the, like, like, horny gomers get on the plane go to dubai and like get there and it's not a like russian prostitute it's It's, like a dude in a suit right yeah it's like a dude from the embassy who's like hey you motherfucker like we're either gonna send you to guantanamo or you're gonna work for us jesus christ um and like you don't think about that shit with video games right yeah but they're they've been effectively they've been weaponized in the war on terror. And also you don't think about like you're developing really good marksmanship in little kids with fucking duck hunt from yeah. Nintendo, yeah. which was a Japanese electronics company founded post-war by mm-hmm. army intelligence people. Shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. I've I mean I played the the Hunt for Red October with the 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 gun on the oh, you what did? was it, the NES? Yes, I think. Yeah, my 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 friend's mom's house. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. Did you have the power pad, anyone? I didn't. No. I never Olympic had the game? system. She had it, okay. so I would go over there and play. I I am I am I grew up notoriously bad at video games, and so I think that actually did worse for my marksmanship than anything else because I could never get the two sticks to go to the same place <laughs> that I wanted them to be in. But you're still uh, thinking tactically, right? Like there's always thinking tactically. I'm all, right? you know me. I'm always yeah. ascertaining. I see I see Liz, she's like scoping the corners of the room at I'm all times. I'm always scoping. I got my guys she's in the She's the wedge. Oh, I read you you have no idea. I have listed every little detail about the background in that room and I've got it cataloged in my brain. My wife hates I'm- it. We'll be out somewhere <laughs> and like we were out we were out at Cane Hill. She's doing this uh program uh, she's a writing. She's a professor of writing at the University of Arkansas as well, and she's doing this program with the Smithsonian, where they're doing like a writing workshop out at this old, nice place in uh, in Arkansas called Cane Hill. Mm-hmm. And we're walking along this nature trail, and I like look over to my stepdaughter, and I'm like, "Hey, Eva, this is a this is a great place to uh, in place a Claymore mine." <laughs> and she and Tony's like, Jesus Christ, Matt, like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, the kid has to know small unit infantry yeah, tactics, Tony. I thought we had You never know. On this. The division two could become real. I mean, when we do live in Arkansas. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Exactly. Fa- uh, we're getting a lot of fucking Texas people here though, and a lot of New York really? people. And California. Because everyone's people. getting priced out of Texas. 
Yeah, and Alice Walton has gone insane as far as like building shit in Bentonville. Like Bentonville mm-hmm. used to be small town USA, like like in G.I. Joe comics, that town Cobra owned. Cobra. You know, but no one knew. Sorry, Cobra owned? I didn't know that. No, I Cobra, Cobra had an entire town? town in New Jersey called Braca Beach. <laughs> um, <laughs> that they ran through brainwashing. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. I like if I hadn't done something with Tom Clancy, I would have done something with G.I. Joe because like their G.I. Joe is actually like super subversive because it was written by a Japanese American Vietnam veteran who used to carry an Uzi in his briefcase and hung oh. out with the Black Panthers. Larry Hama, do you guys like Larry Hama is the coolest human being on the planet. Oh, no, I never heard of him. Okay. He wrote all the file cards for G.I. Joe's, which are all like weird and like, you know, like they're like all the clearly- I just remember snake eyes because I was yeah. thought that was cool. No, but like they're all much like the real military, they're all uniquely damaged individuals before they get in the military, <laughs> and then they just become like more uniquely damaged. Mm-hmm. Um and the file cards all reflect that. And like Hama's comic books, I remember during the first Gulf War, we lived in Turkey and that was when Dev Soul, you know? And uh, so we were, I would be reading GI Joe comics about the invasion of benzene by Cobra forces. Benzene was the fictional country. <laughs> yeah. Which is what they call gas. Yes. Yes. In, and the, I mean, the Emir I, of benzene, gas, they, yeah. like it was amazing. Oh, that's incredible. Well, back to Tom Clancy a little bit because yes. we we're, we're running up against time here. Um, I mean, one thing that Tom Clancy is sort of known for is uh, we mentioned earlier in the episode selling his name essentially to Ubisoft, which is I think known as sort of one of the uh, from from what I know the kind of kings of microtransactions, which is like when you buy little things in video games for like two ninety nine. Oh, you mean um, what Steve Bannon was working on before mm, he went exactly. on the yes, Trump yes, presidential yeah, yeah, yeah. project? I know, pioneered totally. by guys like Bannon in World of Warcraft and shit Fa- like that. Yeah. Fascinating, yeah. 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 Um, but no he Pentagon sells his name for there. $45 million fucking dollars, and they sort of churn out. I know there's a couple of Ghost Recon games that came out, uh, The Division, like you mm. mentioned, which having sort of seen both of those, they look like they're pretty similar to the Ghost Recon games that came out. Yeah. Um, I I still think they should make a Tom Clancy is Tom Clancy's Assassin Creed Assassin's Creed. I think that would be a great crossover. And Ubisoft, if you're listening to this, get on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean he's he's now known. I feel like I mean obviously he's not writing books anymore. He's been dead. But uh, but he th- these video game series have taken sort of a life of their own, and they're actually like they seem like they're almost far away from anything he's actually ever written. Well, like, yeah, and and the Amazon series at this point, yeah, totally. are as well. You know, like he he's in death. I mean, he's Obi Wan, it right? Like, yeah, like in death, he's become more powerful than he ever was in life. Even when he was pretty fucking powerful in life, but all these little Tom Clancy, like Amazon, uses Tom Clancy to sell shit during the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. 
In 2022. In 2022. <laughs> and the man's yeah. been dead since 2013. Yeah. That and it's powerful. wild to think about, too, because like you say, like in life, you know, he was pretty fucking powerful. And it's like, you know, this guy had apparently an open invitation, could just walk around the halls of the CIA, yeah. which is wild. That blew my mind. Rick Prado told me that, um, which like. Oh, that's the guy uh, we should talk about. Yeah. we All right. You got to explain who, who that is and that because that's a really interesting facet of this, too. Uh, OK. So Rick Prado is this. um Ex-CIA dude, uh, paramilitary dude, Blackwater dude, assassin dude. Um, he ran like CIA wet work stuff. Um, Cuban-American guy. And Evan Wright, who wrote Generation Kill, yeah. wrote a piece that was originally for Vanity Fair, but then Vanity Fair got cold feet, so he did it on Byliner. I'm a fucking like media nerd with this shit. I'm sorry. but um, <laughs> No, no problem. The, no, uh, it's good. It's good We're history. familiar with Vanity Fair getting cold feet. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I've written for them. The uh, and I have friends who work for them. They're you know uh, they sure. Anyways, the uh, <laughs> we'll pause there. And um, so I had reached out to Rick Prado because I thought uh, Tom Clancy based John Clark on Rick Prado and Domingo Chavez on Rick Prado. He just mm-hmm. split one man into two individual. Into I'd two like things. to do that to some men I know. Uh, because they'd gone to similar college, like Domingo Chavez goes to George Mason University and is very proud of that. Rick Prado did the same thing. Uh, John Clark in the movies uh, murdered a bunch of guys freelance in a heroin ring in Baltimore. Uh, Evan Wright of Rolling Stone Byliner accused uh, Rick Prado of uh, credibly, fairly credibly, accused uh, Rick Prado of murdering a string of cocaine dealers in um, Miami in 1979 when he was- I mean, to be fair, that's a great, that's a, the, one if of the most perfect times it. in history to kill cocaine it dealers. It was, well, yeah. I mean, and he must have impressed somebody because he got a job offer from CIA shortly after that. It's the kind of a thing that goes very well on your resume. Right. So like, I'm out at Fort Sill- uh, trying to track down this other story and I'm at an estate sale and I get a call from like an unlisted number and I think it's a general on Fort Sill because I just show up like these places and the guys are like, what the fuck? Um, and sometimes they talk and uh, and it's Rick Prado instead and he's like, hey, like I'm really flattered, but like I never talked to Mr. Clancy. Like he walked around. He, he and Vince Flynn had walk around privileges and I was like, yeah. what? Like... <laughs> fucking for real like no way um and then we just like bullshitted about some other stuff and he had a book coming out and wanted to know like how to promote it and i'm like why would you ask me my book sold like three copies um you know like i can't I, I have no advice on that shit but um he had a race car painted up with black ops on it um because a friend of his you should have gotten a bo bergdahl race car dude i mean I should have. It's not too late. I thought about the, I thought like when they were going through the right stuff, I was like, Bo Bergdahl, the musical actually could be done fairly well because it's all in a confined yeah. space. A musical, yeah. Bo, yeah, Bo you really Bergdahl. Could do. Yeah, yes. Bo, yeah, Bo, it was, can, I wanted to do Intelligence, the musical too, where this was like an idea I was kicking around in like 2016, where you would have drones that were on wires oh. and they would shoot Nerf guns things pellets sure. at two randomly selected audience members right but not idea. that randomly selected not that randomly selected and then those <laughs> two people list. would be banned from the show for life 
So like they would not. They, they would they symbolically might, die. You could show up, and then yeah. you might get droned. And then the other yeah. thing I wanted was like those Ed Snowden bots all dancing in choreography. Mm. You know, um, sure. But that never got off the ground. I think you found your new Colin. Um, well, I mean, you know, it would be it would be a difficult bridge for us to cross to interview you if you did become a musical theater guy. Well, I mean, that's how Aaron Sorkin got his start, right? That's true. And you know what? I've always <laughs> said, you do remind me of Aaron Sorkin. He's, <laughs> I mean, well, it's, uh, I, to my knowledge, have not cashed any checks from the Central Intelligence Agency. I can't say that about the author of Mr. Sorkin. Wilson's War screenplay. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, did he write Charlie Wilson's yes. War? Yes, yes, dude. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And I'll, you, be, I'll be real, guys. I've actually never really seen anything he's ever made. I just know about him because people make fun of him. Oh, no. I mean, wow. look, you go, I, you could do a version of the Hunt for Tom Clancy that's the West Wing and how the West Wing has influenced foreign, like how uh, my like, favorite uh, William and Mary, Kai Omega, Jen Psaki mm-hmm. is acting out a CJ oh, absolutely. Craig role every time that she is up. Could say the deliver. same thing about Jake Sullivan and all the rest of the State Department. Absolutely, no, no, no. Like, okay, that's every one of the Obama weird. voice. I think they've actually even openly talked about this. Uh, those like the the Pod Johns and those guys who were the Obama boys. I know that they've like talked guys, about how they would like imagine themselves as like walking and talking like the West Swing characters, and they're like, I mean, I know, like, I know Tommy. Tommy's a nice guy. Um, they have a really well-funded podcast operation out of a massive building in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> and uh, the uh, I wore a Golden Girls t-shirt and hot pink shorts when I went on that show. Um, and Ben Rhodes was not impressed. The uh, <laughs> He wasn't. Like, I went in to meet Ben Rhodes after, and I made, like, these, like, booty short, 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 pink things. It gets things. hot in L.A. And I'm like, what's up, Ben Rhodes? How are you? Like, <laughs> How was writing the 9-11 commission report with my old professor, <laughs> Phil Zellico? Hi. Yeah, Phil yeah. Zellico. Um, I had lunch with him one time, and he told me that uh, he still had questions about like the Bush family and 9-11. Yes. And I was like- Oh, man. If he's you're still Phil got Zellico, questions. Like, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. <laughs> Sir, you, you literally wrote the report. And he's like, yes, but all I want to talk to you now, this was 2013, was like massive online courses which he was developing at UVA. And I was like, oh, I don't want to man. talk about this shit. I want to talk about 9-11. Like, yeah. you know, come on, man. Give me some more. Um, he's a weird guy. They're I all can weird. imagine. No, yeah. I mean, and and like Ned Price, the State Department dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the guy when Hastings and I were doing the story on the profile of John Brennan. He was the guy that like CIA had passed. His, he was like our media handler guy. So yeah. I know, like, after I went crazy, I sent Ned Price's CIA account a, like, 4,000-word email yes. about how – and I got to find this email. Um, you definitely have to find this email. I, it was – I stayed up, like, all – I couldn't sleep for, like, three nights. This is after we got back to Arkansas, and I was convinced, like, the ghosts were still going to get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I wrote, like, this thing where I was like, listen – I don't have a problem with intercepting radio waves. Like, I feel like that's fine. But you guys are tapping into fiber optic cables, and that means you're intercepting light. And, like, that seems like an affront to God. 
So I would like you to like think about that as you continue to work for your evil organization. I absolutely need to see this email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's actually a good point. It is I, a good point. I was like, is, I mean, it is an it is an affront to God. I know, but then you're like, fuck, man, wait, I got to call like state for this thing, and oh fuck, Ned's there. Like he thinks I'm nuts. Can you um, FOIA your own letter? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, should that FOIA. Might be a better, I sent, yeah. No, I was sending like one of the other benefits of like being no longer drunk all the time is I remember all the shit I did. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, as somebody who has found themselves in a ex- similar um, place, yeah, I would actually say one of the worst parts about not being loaded all the time <laughs> is remembering everything I did and do. Going through though and finding some bonus emails where you're like, wait, like, was I trolling an assistant secretary of defense yeah. at that time? Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. Like, I was. Why was I doing that? Like, oh, because I was drunk. Okay. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. Well, I was on a lot of meth, and you tend not to um, – I don't think I had a way to – thank God have a way to email anybody. But uh, yeah. if I had, I think that I probably would – I don't know who the fuck I would have sent emails to. No, because also meth wouldn't make your uh, – I, I have – I've only done meth like twice, and it was accidentally. Um, uh-huh. Much like crack, where I've done that twice, and it was both. At, well, one time was to be polite, but um, yeah, you know, as you do. And the dudes, anyways. But meth wouldn't make like your emails very nice either. No, like you can be just, playful if you're drunk, but you're just yeah. kind of gonna be like intensity. Meth is a bit of an edge. Yeah. Well, we gotta wrap up. Yeah. Um. This is. I mean, I think we could go, go on for four times this length. But yeah. yeah. We should we, again. We, we should again. I think we gotta have you back on again because we only covered a fraction of the shit that I want to talk to you about. Yeah, um, we didn't talk about Mike Flynn once. I, we no. didn't talk about Flynn. I don't think we talked about Steve Pachenik, which is related to Flynn. I mean, we should we should oh. say that for another episode. Can then. can uh, though, can I say something about Steve Pachenik? The absolutely op center games of state. Go back and reread. Steve Pachenik's Op Center Games of State, uh, number three, I think. And it's all about Nazis on- radicalizing people through online games. Mm, it's fucking amazing. prophetic for like the like late 2000s or late 2020s, yeah. you know? It's yeah. weird how much like, huh, all that shit kind of came true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's... Pachenik is one of the. I mean, I think we. I guess. I guess we mentioned him earlier in the episode, but we've done. We did an episode with uh, Robbie Martin where we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about him, and uh, he is a. I watched some of his videos last night. I mean, he is a, a fascinating character. He, I think he came up to again recently because I think Ginny Thomas was was watching his videos and sending them along to I can't remember, Mark Meadows or whoever, um, which is That's so also fun. I'm psychotic. sure delighted. Uh, Pachenik to no end to find himself. I mean, my God. I, I also I know he's lying about having three degrees, but I respect him for coming along so far with having that lie just still be on his Wikipedia page. Oh, it's. Uh, I mean, it just you. I have to like, like I don't. It's it's like watching a an athlete or someone else of like a certain amount of performance and intensity that like you don't understand, but you're just like. Yeah. I can't believe you can keep all those wheels spinning, man. Like I basically have to tell the truth at all times or I don't keep shit straight. Mm-hmm. You know, like my, <laughs> my wife is always like, I'm like, Hey honey, you don't mind if I like go to, you know, the Trump hotel and stay there for like three days and come back. And I, she's like, no, cause like, you're going to come back. And if anything happened, you're going to tell me the truth. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's true. Like that sounds like <laughs> how things go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, Fair enough. 
good call. This is a mature adult relationship. I've never had one of these before. Like, yeah, yeah. Huh, huh, huh. This is great, actually. Like, it's been, uh, I, I have to give a, like, at the end of this, like, a shout out for, like, if you're not married, like, maybe think about getting married. It's pretty good. Um, I liked it. I like it. Like, not liked it. That implies past tense, but I like it. It's very nice. This is, I think this is the first true, we are bookending this with wife shout outs on both ends, which is, you know, how as it should be. Honestly, hey. we should do this every episode. Absolutely. No, she's, 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 uh, Better writer than me, smarter than me, better looking than me, and most years she makes more money than I do. This so motherfucker like, just gained a, a thousand. All our, all five of our uh, lady fans just signed what? up for this motherfucker Substack. Oh my Tony god! Jensen, if we have Carrie, lots of lady fans. A memoir of survival on stolen land. That's the book you should read. Well, I think they should also read your goddamn Substack, The Hunt for Thank Tom you. Clancy. Read the man's Bo Bergdahl book, and also check out uh, what is that fucking website? Muckrack. What's the one that takes all your damn articles yeah, that's for every journalist? This guy. I mean, we'll link to all a, of it. I will say, I actually DM'd you about this late the other night, but I realized that you actually had written one of my favorite articles from the entire sort of like when I think it was 2019 it came out, which is your article about Epstein, New Mexico. Oh uh, yeah, the New no, Republic. I, I love one New of my Mexico. favorite ones. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, there's um, a lot to say about New Mexico. Well, we got to have you back a on. School there, it is. Oh, brother, that's <laughs> it is school founded by Lord Mountbatten, Prince Charles, and uh, okay. Armand Hammer. All right, maybe you uh, are. I'm sorry, you candidate. are. Yeah, you're. I'm sorry, you're gonna. I mean, but, yeah. but like, I'm like, I'll be real though. If there's like a Manchurian candidate, like, <laughs> what he's gonna kill Joe Biden? Not my problem, you know. I I just yeah I'm. Uh, I don't take phone calls from certain people at certain times, you know, yeah. I worry, I worry that the code word might be activated. Well, I can't, I got to I got to watch, uh, the other day at a pawn shop, like one of these fucking electronic watches, yeah. don't know how to turn the alarm off. So oh. it's been going off Amazing. and that's kind of similar and that makes me annoyed and crabby. And so it's like, it's kind of like my code word or whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, it's been a pleasure having you. you. Uh, again, that's the hunt for Tom Clancy, his Substack, Um, and, uh, we are, we, we will be delighted to have you back. That's great. Thank you. to his blog in the notes we always say that but we really will i really recommend you guys uh check out um like all the entries i don't know i just like fully inhaled i meant to say this when we were interviewing him but i fucking love this blog i read like so much of it it reminds me so much of my grandpa that it got me real nostalgic so i would check it out he goes down some real interesting um real interesting little passages and little trails that he takes Mm-hmm. Including uh, a lot on 9-11, which I highly yeah, recommend. We, fuck, we didn't talk about the 9-11 stuff. I know. We barely talked about Contra. You know, we're going to have to have him back and do a yeah. Bergdahl app. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, we'll do a whole series. I was about to say, we should do, because you know, like, I mean, How big news. How many episodes did Serial do? Uh, 47 of them fuck. about okay. Bergdahl. But like, yeah. you know, for those of you who might have read in the trade papers, like Liz and I, um, you know, we took a meeting with, with Sarah 
or missed Koenig the other day. Um, Young Chomsky has been, of course, working on Serial for a number of years now, doing their interstitial music. Uh, and we're pleased to announce that we've purchased them. Mm, yeah, Truanon's Serial. Truanon's Serial, exactly. Uh, and we've actually <laughs> sold the Serial franchise to Ubisoft. Yes. And they're planning on making an Assassin's Creed, uh, yeah. Adnan Syed. Um, Which is not very confusing because now the podcast now, after we've sold the rights, is now Serial's Truanon's Serial. Which is mm-hmm, just exactly, yeah. You know, it'll be a little confusing for people, but you get the hang of it. And you, you do get to play as a non, where he he does unfortunately murder his girlfriend and then uh, tricks a reporter into falling in love with him yeah. uh, and putting out several episodes to that effect. Um, it's a really immersive game. Um, you know, the wrist blades are back. It's you know, it's a it's a it's a fantastic. Um, just really proud to be working this partnership. Brace Let's close this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Les. My name is Brace. We are of course joined by ultra producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called Truanon's Truanon, the Division <laughs> Truanon. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein.